On this week's episode, Lee Griffin upsets the general public. And I just walk, go through a separate line. If I get randomed, you go right to the head of the line. Then I get to the head of the line over there in normal security. All these people are pissed off at me already. And then I just slow them up. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Well, that's you. Scott Boris gives us some advice on flying in Class A airspace. The only time you should be in Class A is in the back of an airliner with a drink in your hand. Yep. You get the uh, little Crown Royal yeah. mix it with a Coke. Yeah. Always ask for a double. Yeah. Always worth getting the double. You uh-huh. always want that second one, and the, the stewardess isn't there to get it for it you. It takes too long. Yeah. yeah. Or, yep. even better, sneak your own little mini bottles on. And I am plagued with technical difficulties too long to list, such as publishing what was supposed to be 53 as episode 52. The audio files we recorded for the original episode 52 seem to have been lost or are unrecoverable. I'm not sure. The five-star written reviewer username Corndog. We did intend, we actually did read your review during the recording, and that was going to be episode 52. This episode, that file is gone. So... We try with the five-star written reviews to read them in the order that they come in. Five-star written reviewer, username Corndog. Uh, We will read your review. It will be out of order. The several episodes into the future um, as we pre-record a lot of these. We did not forget you. We did not skip you. Uh, We just did an entire cross-country flying episode with Lake Erie flight legend Ryan Eckel, uh, cross-country flight planning episode. That episode will have to be redone now, most likely, but the show must go on. Welcome to the podcast. This week we are covering FAR 91.155, basic VFR weather minimum. You are watching on Twitch. We're glad to have you. Uh, If you are interested in watching live, head on over to robertberger.com. Click on the live button and uh, sign up for the email link right there. And uh, you will be notified when we go live. Although I did not know if the tech was going to work, so I did not send one out for this on this one. Uh, If you're wondering why you did not get an email, uh, we are just still figuring out the tech, and I did not want to send out an email and then have it not work. So, yeah, this was originally going to be on YouTube, but they screwed us over again, so we are back. We bounce around to different platforms all the time, so you sign up for the list, you will always be notified. FAR Part 91.115, Part A, except as provided in Paragraph B of this section, and 91.157, no person may operate an aircraft under VFR when the flight visibility is less or at a distance from clouds that is less than that prescribed for the corresponding altitude and class of airspace in the following table. And then this is this is kind of a visual thing, the table, but it's just very straightforward. It's the easiest way to organize the text. So we're just going to go airspace by airspace class and then we will uh, we'll we'll break it down from there. Um, first one is Class A. 
you know the uh, VFR weather minimum for it class A, Scott? Is not applicable. Oh, okay. You're reading it. This is, I can't quiz you anymore. Yeah, class A isn't applicable. Do you know why it's not applicable? Yes, because uh, class A, you, you cannot fly VFR in class A. Class A is uh, IFR only. Correct. Class Alpha airspace, it's anything... Anything above 18,000 feet means sea level? You shouldn't be up that. There's no reason to be up that high anyway. And the, the airplanes that are are flying uh, IFR flight plans. Yeah. So yeah. they don't have minimum weather stuff because they're jets. And they're flying up high. <music> Class B. This is for... Do you remember your uh, your cheat words for the airspace designations, Scott? What's Class B? What's your nickname for Class B? Uh, bad, I think. I'm, I'm sure it's bad. Wasn't it bad? It was bad. No. Okay, this is, Class B is for basically surrounding the big airports, if you're really, really interested. Believe it or not, we were even less talented at doing a show back then than we are now. Uh, but we, we do have an entire episode on Class B airspace if you look through our back catalog on your podcast app of choice. But anyway, uh, Class B, the um, flight visibility to enter there under VFR has to be three statute miles and clear clouds is the distance from clouds. It's clear clouds. So basically, you got to be able to see three miles and not be in a cloud. You can be right next to a cloud but not in it. Is that a fair assessment, Lee? Yep, that's it. Can you have a wing in it? No. No? Mm-mm. Is there ever that defined like, of a wall where you could have a wing tip in it and the rest of you is not in it? I feel like it's a not as tight, crisp of a transition as that usually. No, not really. I mean, I guess... It's always going to look, you're always going to be able to see your wingtip, no matter how crappy, no matter how soup, how thick the soup is that you're in, you're always going to be able to see your wingtip. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's at most 40 feet from you or something like that. So, well, depending on what you're, you're, you're always going to be able to see it, but you need to, what's that? I said, depending on what you're flying. In regards to what? Your wingtip could be, your wingtip could be a lot further away from you. You're going to. Yeah, 40 feet's pretty far. I was trying to be generous. Boeing 777, it's going to be like 100 feet out there. More than that, 150 feet out there, whatever the wingspan I don't is. know what the wingspan. Those have a 300-foot wingspan? I don't know what it is. A football field wingspan? The the 7779 has like a, it's a really long. I don't know what it is. The wingtips fold out because they're so long they can't get into the terminals and shit. Yeah, well, so regardless, I was trying to be generous. I mean, most people are never going to fly an airplane that has a 40-foot from them wingspan i'm talking one direction so it's got an 80 foot wingspan most people are not going to fly an airplane that big i would say uh vfr they're not going to fly flying at vfr they're definitely not going to do that um so, but yeah you're always going to be able to see your own wingtip 230 i mean maybe foot. if it's 150 feet away but what is that that is a 16th what is that i don't know what that is a 30th of a mile you know, so what's the how 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 bad does it need to be? How thick does it need to be? Can it get that thick? You know, I, I don't know. But regardless, you're always gonna be able to see your wingtips. You got to kind of think like an out of body experience. What was somebody that's like a mile away from you see? 
who really cares? At the end of the day, nobody is watching you that closely. So keep the keep you know keep yourself where you are sitting in the airplane out of the clouds, and for all intents and purposes, that's probably gonna be fine. But I'm picturing like a cumulus, like a puffy a puffy cloud where they're a little more defined. Yeah. Um. That that is what I picture. Like it's summertime, you got these little puffy buildups, and you're just you want to kind of go straight, so you're not gonna go way far away from it and around it when you don't have to. Just kind of skirt it, having a wingtip in it. Who's gonna know the difference? But yeah, final letter of the law. Yeah, as long as the wingtips and the top of the tails out of the clouds, you're legal. So then uh, you're talking to air traffic control whenever you're in class Bravo. Anyway, you can't just willy nilly be cruising around in there anyway. No, but I mean you could be. You know, you could be. I I think I see what you're saying. You could be kind of just flying whatever heading you want, though. Yeah, they may maybe not have necessarily not given you a heading to fly. It's often the case because it's a busy airspace and they need to keep separation between you and the IFR traffic and the airliners that are probably going in there. But they, there, you also could be cleared in class Bravo uh, as requested or something. Yeah. So, I mean, all kinds of goofy flight training and stuff happens. So, you could be just kind of bopping around. Yep. Class C, Class Charlie. Uh, it's three statute miles, so it's the same as Class Bravo. That's easy to remember. Uh, CS4 uh, uh, can't can't go in there. Can't go can't, in there? Can't go look, in there. Did you look up your cheat sheet? I don't know if that's the same word I used last time, but sounds good. All right. So now here's where we get a, three statute miles. That's the same as Class B. Uh, this is like Palm Beach International, PBI by me here. is. Um, that's class C. Toledo, if you're up here. It gets more complicated, though. Yeah. Class. Okay, f- distance from clouds you got to maintain now. This is the rule they say is 152. When you hear the that, that's obviously a Cessna make and model, but the, people use that for remembering the distance from clouds stuff, 152. The 1 would stand for 1,000 feet above the 5 of the 152 is 500 feet below the cloud. And then the two is 2,000 feet horizontal. That's off to the side of the cloud. So you can't just go up to the cloud anymore like you could, in theory, in a class Bravo. You would now have to maintain some distances depending on where you are in relation to the cloud. Why do they do this? Why? Why? Yeah. Why do they do this? Yes. Uh, probably so you don't hit other planes, right? Yeah, this is all so you don't hit other planes, though. But what the difference between Class B and C? Probably because I assume they have they don't have as good of uh, radar or as much uh, air traffic control going on. I don't know. Not as good as not as much uh, separation service or whatever, you know. That's probably has a little bit to do with it, yeah. Lee, you got you got some input, I'm guessing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of BS, I think. Maybe a holdover from a long time ago. But, I mean, Class C, I mean, think about it. If you were to tell me Class C in, is, is, is a lesser airspace than a Class B, okay, in some cases, you know, you think LAX versus Tulsa. Yeah, there's probably a difference. But like when you start thinking Cincinnati, uh, 
versus West Palm Beach, there's probably not that big of a difference in terms of volume of traffic, the level of control, all those things. So case-by-case basis, I suppose, maybe in general, Class B is busier and the aircraft in there are more controlled, for lack of a better term. But that that's, I think, what it boils down to. They are more controlled. There's, you know, maybe more uh, eyes on them in Class B. Um, as a VFR aircraft, it is primarily, you know, airliners and, and bigger corporate commercial aircraft Jets flying faster, all those sorts of things in the class Bravo airspace. Um, I would say that's probably pretty pretty safe to say. Whereas class C, although you have examples like I just said, PBI in numerous, you know, in uh, numerous ones, especially in Florida, that can be incredibly busy. They do be a class Bravo almost anywhere else except Florida. Florida, you know, has such a, a huge amount of traffic flight training and everything else that, you know, they're almost like their tiers are a little bit, you know, screwed up compared to the rest of the country because like what would be a busy day to class Bravo in anywhere else is just another day in, in Florida. So it takes up Miami where you're basically like at the edge of the world and everybody basically stops there as far as going South. That's what it takes. Everybody's got to funnel in. If you think about, geographically getting down to Miami and you're staying mostly kind of the same North South track. Once you're there, not many airplanes are going straight to Miami from wherever they came from. They're funneling into Florida, the shape of Florida. If you think about it, you go South and you're staying over land or within 50 miles ashore or whatever you're doing. Think of the volume of traffic that all converges from one direction on Miami and so that's what it takes in Florida to become a Class Bravo, which is just an insane amount of traffic. Class C, let's face it, in a lot of times can be as busy, if not busier, than a Class Bravo. So I think these these requirements, this distance from clouds, these cloud clearances, I think they're a holdover from you know days gone by. Because, I mean, we have countless examples we can come up with just in Florida by you, Rob, that are busier than a Class Bravo anywhere else in the country. Uh, I mean, on a given day, I guess, but they're, they're no less controlled in a class Charlie, but that is what this regulation I think would lead you to kind of think. Would you agree with that? I mean, it leads you to think that they're a little less controlled. So they want uh, a little bit more clearance for you. That's what I, that's what I see when I read this, but I don't agree with it. Practically speaking, they're just as busy in airspace as class Bravo. I think this hail back to like the um, like the mode C veil days. They still have the mode C veil, don't they? Around class Bravos. Oh yeah, yeah. Now it's almost like an ADSB. Yeah, veil. Yeah. Yeah, ADSB. Now I guess you'd call it. So the yeah. class Bravo in that airspace, they're legally required to have more information on every plane, right? It could be just that simple. It that that little tidbit there could be the separation the delineation between like we need we need have a little bit more structure around what a vfr guy is allowed to do flying in here but from a i i try to think like why does that vfr guy have to stay guy or girl have to stay so far away from that cloud well it's to protect them from the ifr guy that's popping out the other side of that cloud 
You don't want them to be right up on it like they could legally do in a Bravo. They need to have a little bit of separation. So I don't think the mode C that gives you altitude. You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't know that that is really that. Maybe it is. I'm not an air traffic controller, you know, but I, I wouldn't see that that would be the defining point that would make me keep somebody 2,000 feet horizontally off the side of that cloud, legally speaking. Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe that is just the the one thing that, that keeps the separation working in class Bravo, the mandatory mode C, you know, or ADSB now uh, capability. Maybe that's the thin line that keeps all the separation working in class Bravo. That's pretty tight tolerances, though, I think. Definitely. But that's a good point to lead into. The cloud. The reason for cloud clearances is exactly what you had just mentioned, is you have uh, IFR traffic, instrument flight rules traffic, that they're on IFR flight plans. They're talking to air traffic control. Air traffic control is guiding them. They're not making many decisions on, you know, what path they're taking, what altitude they're at. They're all they're being completely controlled by air traffic control. Pilots are just listening to what air traffic control says for the most part. Any deviation needs to be talked about with air traffic control. They got really really good tabs on these guys and girls doing this IFR, so they're allowed to fly through the clouds. That's a big why you get an instrument rating is you can go into clouds and that's. You know, fly through clouds, above clouds, like all over the place around clouds. You just go through them. Shouldn't be not that big a deal. Shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Stay away from. So, so, what they're trying to avoid with these uh, VFR weather minimums is they don't want a IFR flight coming out of this cloud, and there's a VFR guy there and it's they don't have a, they don't have enough room to like turn away basically but but i mean i don't want to cut you off but it's just it's just hitting me i don't want to forget about it but isn't that ifr guy he's in controlled airspace he's in class c for the purpose of this right here example isn't he being watched just as closely as the guy in class bravo i find it hard to believe that he wouldn't be I think it again. So comes why down are we that, putting the restriction? Good. I think it comes again to that. I I think it's the ADSB, uh, that thirty mile veil, that little line you see, the thirty mile circle you see on a sectional chart that's around Class B airspace, like Miami, like Cleveland's a Class B too, right? Mm-hmm. So you yeah, duh. you got that thirty mile veil. You have to. ADSB to go into any controlled airspace now, don't you? That's that's true. I mean, I, I was I was saying it now. I didn't want to change it and make everybody think that that's now the ADSB veil. It's still the mode C veil. But Rob's Rob makes a point that mode C veil was previously only on there. The mode C veil is outside that starts outside of Class Bravo airspace. So it's a, it's a greater tolerance even outside of it. Of course, you need it in the B, in the C, but they're saying we need another 10 or so miles even outside of our airspace just, to, again, for any potential conflicts. But, Rob, your point is, I, I don't, I I mean, that's, I'm not an air traffic controller, but man, that mode C veil or now, you know, now ADSB capability 
which you like like Scott said, you need in the airspace anyways. Yeah. But it could be a holdover. They haven't updated the reg. Maybe we'll see some of these go away once they update it. Probably not, because they're never going to give us more. They're not. They're never going to change the reg to be less restrictive. It's not their style. But right. I well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I'm just saying the mode C. So let's let, not even talk about ADSB. Mode C was required in class Charlie as well. Was it before? Okay. Well, well, that's what, what I was trying to say. You know, C, kind of without. Actually. What's that? What is mode C? What is mode C? Altitude yeah. encoding. Yeah. So that's you, it? not only do they just see your transponder code and your ground speed and track and stuff, now altitude. they can see your altitude. Okay. So now they can look at their scope, and that kind of paints them a three-dimensional picture on a two-dimensional space. Like when they look at their radar scope or whatever they call them now. They can see two targets converging, and now they don't have to think, hey, I need to turn one of these guys so it passes behind the other guy or whatever the case may be. Now they can say, oh, they're looks like they're going to hit exactly, but one's at 6,000 feet, one's at 8,000 feet, obviously no conflict. So it makes much better use of the national airspace system for them. But in the mode C veil, I believe that starts about 10 miles outside of the class Bravo airspace. So they have a yeah. ten mile buffer between when the mode C veil when when you need mode C until you get into their airspace, and that's you know that's just some buffer in case you know I don't know it gives them time you know if if you are you know going into the Bravo it gives them time to kind of uh, before you make contact or whatever they can start to orchestrate and get all the pieces moving so that none of, there's no you know um, what I want to say no conflict all all the they've got all their resolution type stuff all figured out before there's a conflict and makes it more seamless for everybody and there's no con, you know no compromise of the the uh, protected airspace around each aircraft but inside the bravo you needed it anyways just like you needed it inside the charlie so i'm sticking with i think the this is making it sound like there is less control the IFR guy in that cloud that might pop out and doesn't want to see an airplane there. My my concept or what I'm thinking is they're saying that IFR guy is less controlled. There's less scrutiny on him. And they want to keep him protected more. Maybe it's just the volume of maybe maybe we're looking at it wrong. I, I'm gonna quit talking here after I say this real quick. Maybe it's they think there's more VFR traffic. Like they've tipped the scales in the class Charlie. There's too much of V. We're thinking so much about how much the volume of traffic in a class Bravo. Well, yeah, there's a lot, but it's 98% IFR. Well, in a class Charlie, it can still be very busy, but it's maybe 40% VFR. You know, 60% IFR. And 40% VFR. So there's a lot of people that maybe are more fair weather flyers, whatever. And the volume is similar of, of traffic, total aircraft in, in general. But the number of VFR went way, way up. So maybe that's why. Maybe maybe we're look, Maybe I was looking at it incorrectly. I don't know. I never thought about that. Yeah, it could be the percentage of IFR, VFR as well. Would, it would go down. And like it would go down even further in the case, the next one would be class D, class Delta. 
Yeah, you had a, a new moniker for that one as well, the, the Class D. Yeah, don't, remember. don't, don't, unless you have to. Okay. You could do it. You are right. It's, uh, it's what it was. It might have been doable. Doable, but don't, unless you have to. That does ring a bell. It does ring a bell. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was don't go there. Yeah, just don't go there. No, yeah, it is a control tower. You do have to talk to a control tower to go in yeah, the but, tower. But it's but it's doable. Oh no, maybe it was just doable. Yeah. I I thought it I was I think it was just doable. I thought it was a multiple. I th- I thought it was like don't doable, but don't unless you have to. Maybe. Something like that. I'll have to listen the, to the old episode. The nuances mm-hmm. of airspace yeah. with Scott Boris. Yeah. But anyway, it, it is doable. Like it's not as bad as as B or C. It's, it's really it's I guess it depends on the airport. Like Mansfield is class delta over here. It's not very busy. I wouldn't worry about it. But there's some class deltas that are very busy, so you probably wouldn't want to go to those. So. Yeah. Anyway, the class D is uh easy to remember because it's the exact same as class C. It's three miles uh, flight visibility, three statute miles. All the visibility has to be statute miles, not nautical miles. And then uh, 152. Why do they do that? The 500. Seems like every, everything's in nautical miles, but then they'll put certain things in statute miles. Weather reporting is all in statute, typically, from the uh, National Weather System. Mm-hmm. So instead of having pilots have to do constant conversions to see what the regs are, yeah, I guess um, that makes they sense. They just make a statue because yeah. that, I don't know. That's what they do. Yeah, um, except they give us wind in knots and then time of right. visibility in yeah. statue miles. Yeah, it's That is ridiculous. true. It is ridiculous. I never thought about that. Yeah, that was the ex- explanation I've always heard of why the visibilities are in statute. I think it's just, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that's it. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Deal with it. That's it is what it is. Deal with it. Same same distance um from clouds 500 feet below, 1000 feet above and 2000 feet horizontal. The reasoning that they um are different 500 feet below, 1000 feet above, 2000 feet horizontal. Uh 500 feet below is less than obviously half the distance of 1000 feet above. The reasoning for this, um, and these hold true when we get into class E as well, uh, for when you're less than 10,000 feet MSL altitude. And the reason they do this is because typically below a cloud, you have somebody on descent. Most airplanes, when they're on descent, aren't descending at a very high foot per minute. It's more of a gradual, slowly bringing it back down versus... Some jets like the Lear Forty. How fast are you guys climbing out? Well, I mean, we climb out. Yeah, I mean, we do both. But I mean, three thousand feet a minute. Okay. And then how how quickly are you typically doing descents? Then when you're coming in, when you're descending. It's. I mean, it depends on how high you are. But like these airspaces that we've covered here so far, you're typically lower. You know, so the ceiling of a class typical class Bravo is ten thousand feet. Uh, the ceiling of a typical class Charlie is 4,000 feet, so relatively low altitudes. 
we've got it a lot more reined in. And again, we're a lot, we're getting kind of constrained. We're getting closer to the airport, closer to the terminal environment, we call it. So within 30 or so miles of the airport, that's kind of your terminal environment. And so we're getting a lot more instructions from air traffic control. So there, it, it, it's much more moderate. So the lower we get, kind of the, a lot more moderate and a lot better an idea we have of how fast we need to come down because we're getting closer to the destination for lack of a, you know, for the uh, closer, you know, to the mark for lack of a better term. So we have a much more refined idea of how much altitude, how much distance, how much time and how much altitude we need to lose. So we can have a very refined idea of how, how quickly we need to come down. So once we start getting into these airspace that we've just covered, you know, we're talking a thousand, the, the aeronautical information manual wants to do about 1500, but you know, our best rate until we're within a thousand feet, of our target altitude, our assigned altitude, our target altitude. Um, and then between 1500 feet a minute uh, or about 1500 feet a minute or so is, is really kind of what they want us to do. So up at altitude, if we're coming out altitude, 40,000 feet, 45,000 feet, we'll do 2000, 2500 feet a minute in the descent, okay. which doesn't apply to what we're talking about here, but yeah, because that's all IFR anyways. Usually when you're below 10,000, you're not cranking it down that fast. I wouldn't. I I don't know. I don't know that I wouldn't say. I would say usually not uh, below ten. So remember, we revert to where these start, where these visual flight, um, the the cloud clearance and visibility requirements, where they start picking back up, is that you know below eighteen thousand feet. We're out of class A. We're back into you know class E airspace. So that's where we may encounter a VFR guy or girl again flying an airplane. So. We don't make that delineation up at 18,000 feet. We could easily still be coming down 2,500 feet a minute. That's no problem. Now, I know we're only talking about class, you know, B or C right now. Um, and I, like you just said, above 10,000 in class E, we'll get to. But um, yeah, I mean, 2,500 is totally not uncommon right there coming back into class E. If we're cleared, if we have the airport in sight and we're cleared for visual, we'll come down about as quickly as the airplane can well you know because we're trying to get configured to land it doesn't make any sense to like come screaming down if you're not if you can't if you're going too fast to put flaps and gear down so you have to balance those couple objectives how close am i how quickly can i come down while still slow down to not exceed a flap limitation to get flaps and get configured to land but yeah i mean yeah i mean your your point your point is correct what you're getting at i don't even know if you completely got to it but um yeah we can come down yeah, basically, you go. The, the the theory is for the reason for only 500 feet below, and then you need twice that above, is because in theory, planes are climbing a lot faster than they're descending. So it gives yeah, the, the plane climbing up really fast more time. Yeah, well, we're talking jets and stuff. It gives the airplane, yeah. airplanes on top more time to see each other if they have 1,000 feet instead of 500. Yeah. And then that's why it again doubles to two thousand horizontal because if there's a jet just screaming through a cloud and it comes out of the cloud, you know you need that time to react to turn and avoid hitting each other yeah there's no the the way probably the best way that I would say it is that there is down at these altitudes there's not much incentive to descend fast there's incredible incentive to climb fast. In, in terms of rate, like like 
3,000 feet a minute is a faster rate of climb than 2,000 feet a minute, obviously. I just wanted to clarify my meaning. There is incentive, like we just took off out of our airport and they cleared us to, you know, 41,000 feet. We have an incentive. We want to get there as quickly as we can. So we have incentive to get there. When we're coming back into an airport, unless they held us up high, air traffic control didn't allow us to descend for whatever reason. Or, you know, we were trying to top a, a thunderstorm, so we told them we wanted to stay up high for a little bit while longer, and it kind of threw us off, um, which happens all the time. You have to adjust for it. Other than a situation like that, there's not that much incentive to come down. The descent is much more planned than the climb. The climb, the faster you climb, that's all free money that you are earning back for your your company or your customer or whatever the case may be. The descent, not so much. Actually, it's quite the contrary. Contrary, you have incentives to stay high. That's why you wanted to climb fast because you have all of everything that you want: faster, true airspeed, smoother air. It's cooler. Um, you're above a thunderstorm, What you're out of icing, all these things, every reason you could think of is at altitude. So you have every reason to stay as high, as get as high as you can, as quickly as you can, and stay there. So that makes the descent planned much more thoroughly than the climb. The climb is all about, let's just get there. Let's get there as quick as ATC will let us. There's no thought. It's just point point the thing up and keep your airspeed where you want it or whatever. On the descent, everything is much more planned out. You typically do not get caught the same, and and all your advantages are up high. So there's no um, there's no advantage in descending fast. So we don't. That, that's that's a lot of it. We do climb fast to get the advantage. We cl- we descend slow to maintain advantage. If that's if that's maybe a better way to say it, wouldn't it? Go ahead. What you got? Then why is why is there not a benefit then to staying as high as possible for as long and then just darting it down as fast as you can at the last minute? If that's the case, there that would be the case. And if we go into an airport like out, like let's say in the middle of the country, you know, Kansas, Arkansas, Missouri, something like Iowa, something like that, and they let us, they'll they'll give what's called pilot's discretion. And, and that doesn't that never meant anything to me until I was flying a jet. You just started coming down 500 or 700 feet a minute, you know, in, in a little unpressurized airplane, and that's easy on your ears. But here, if they'll say, hey, you know, pause discretion to send and maintain 310, well, if I'm at 41,000, that's 10,000 feet to lose. Uh, well, okay, I don't even know where I was going to go with that. I was going to try and do some math, but I didn't even really give myself a good scenario. But I will just keep doing it. I will just keep, and they'll keep getting you. So every time you get handed off to the next controller, they'll give you, okay, pilot's discretion to send and maintain 240. And then before you know it, you know, pilot's discretion, uh, 1 1,000. And then, you know, it's, you know, pilot's discretion, 4,000. Well, so all this time I've done the math. So I'm at 41,000 feet, and I'm descending down to basically a sea level airport. Okay. Let's say like in Florida, well, Florida is a bad example because it'd be super controlled, but you know, maybe somewhere in Louisiana, somewhere right on the coast where it's basically sea level, not much traffic. So 41,000 feet, that means I have 41,000 feet to lose. So the kind of the rule is altitude to lose times three. So 40, let's just call 40,000 feet. 40 times three is 120,000. Divide that by 1,000, 120 miles out is when you want to start your descent. So if they tell me, hey, descend post discretion 310 at 200 miles out, 
well, I've already done the math. I know that 200 is too far out. I know that I can wait until 120 miles out so I can stay aloft for 80 more miles. That's free money. That's time. Yeah. That's time on the airplane. That's my time at home. <laughs> that's fuel flow. That's maintenance on the airplane. That's everything. So yeah, we would do that. You come into a busy airport, Miami, or you know most of the most of the bigger airports in Florida, uh, they all have what are called optimized. Well, they all have they all have letters of agreement between the different air traffic control facilities, and they when you're going from like Jacksonville Center to um, like Miami Center or something like that. They are going to uh, have like agreements of what altitude you need to be at when you get handed off to the next control facility. So they that's all amongst themselves. But yeah, air traffic control. If you're going somewhere busy, they're not going to keep you up high and let you do that because they don't know where you will be when you go from one center controller to another. They want that all under control. They want to know exactly where you will be in space. They don't want one guy who starts, oh, as soon as they get from 410 to 310, pilot's discretion, they don't want one guy starting right down now at 1,000 feet a minute and then another guy like me coming in waiting until 3,500 feet a minute, you know what I mean, and diving right down. They want some control. But when there is no conflict with other traffic, if it's not busy like Peoria or you know Champagne or something like that, and they'll just let you just dive. We do that. It's all free money. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was just wondering. As soon as you start explaining that, how advantageous it is to stay up high, why would that be a nice, slow, long descent if you can stay up higher longer and just dive down at the end? But, okay. That yeah. Well, it, it, it is possible, you know, for weather, like I said before, that you would want to stay up. I mean, there's other reasons to stay up, but um, most of the time that that, that would be it. Or, or, I'm sorry. There could be other reasons that you may want to descend. I'm sorry. I, I kind of did it backwards. You could stay. You want, could want to stay above a thunderstorm coming up. You could want to dive, get below one. It could go. It could good. Could go either way, depending on what the the weather is doing. But for the most part, yeah, you, you do want to stay up as long as you can. But there can be some advantages in passenger comfort or whatever to start down immediately, and that's a case by case basis. Most busy airports, ATC tells you what you're doing anyways. Yep. So class E is different for the uh, minimum weather depending on whether you are above or below 10,000 feet mean sea level, MSL. If you are less than 10,000 feet MSL, so below 10,000 feet, which you're like Scott and I, the majority of your flying career has been spent Below 10,000 feet. Yeah, you really don't even want to go. There's not really any point going above 10,000. Unless you are smuggling Captain Morgan. I mean, if you're flying a jet or something, but who wants to do that? Yeah, so three statue miles. Go ahead. Above 10,000 feet, somebody else should be flying the plane if you're above 10,000 feet. You shouldn't be doing that yourself. It's a good rule of thumb. You, leave. you should have an expert. You should have an expert like Lee Griffin. You leave that to the people like Lee. Right. To do. Yeah. Right. So that's not you. I mean, it could be you. It could be you. I don't I don't know all of our listeners, but it's not me. That's all right. Sure. <laughs> okay, so three statue miles and then 152. Uh, 500 feet below, 1,000 feet above, 2,000 feet horizontal. You see, this is a trend 
through the airspaces. So if you're studying for like your written test, most of the time it's three statute miles, uh, 152 on the cloud clearance. Once we are above 10,000 feet MSL in Class E airspace, and again, if you need the Class E, there's I believe it's a two-part episode where we go in-depth back when we were even worse podcast hosts than we are now, if you can believe it. But we haven't redone those, so that is the, the most up-to-date um, from the 2020 season where we really get in-depth on, on what Class E is. So if, if this is confusing you, there are episodes in the back catalog for that. But uh, visibility has, uh, that goes up to five statute miles if you are uh, at or above 10,000 feet in Class E airspace, Class Echo airspace. And correct me if I'm wrong, Almost all airspace, unless there's like mountainous terrain, is class E between 10,000 feet and 18,000 feet. Class A kicks in at 18,000 feet. Is that is that assessment fairly? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you'd okay. have to be uh, somewhere. I mean, Alaska, you know, right here kind of on the border, you know, uh, Canada and stuff like that. There, there are some, it's delineated. Uh, differently but yeah i mean in the contiguous united states yeah above 10 it's almost always class c up to 18 but ten thousand feet to eighteen thousand feet is usually unless you got some high terrain or you're by a border or something class echo airspace and so you need five statue miles you need two extra miles of visibility to operate compared to all the other airspaces we've covered so far and then your cloud clearance requirements the 1,000 feet above is the same. Why is it more above 10,000 feet? Well, remember, everything we've everything we've read up to now is below 10,000, right? So even if you're operating a fast airplane, there is still a speed limit of how many knots? 250 knots. Below 10. 250 knots indicated airspeed, right? So no matter how fast SR-71, it is still 250 knots below 10,000 feet. So above 10, those limitations go away. So it's, you know, as fast as you want to go. That, that would do, be why. Everybody, people, the maximum, no matter how fast it can go, everybody's doing do a, people minim- break, a maximum of 250. I suppose there's like, I forget because it's been so long since that, but in like military training zones, whatever they're called, I mean, obviously they break that rule all the time. But Military can do whatever they want. Yeah. Well, they control yeah, the airspace. Yeah, they have their so. training routes and stuff, low and fast and all kinds of stuff. I mean, that'd be... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they can do whatever they want. And that's why a lot of that stuff I mean, is a lot of times sectional charts as hazards. Yeah, right. Because you have low-flying fighter training and stuff, and you don't want Scott and his Cessna 150 cruising on through the F-16 squadron, you know, doing hundreds of knots on the deck. Because Scott's usually on the deck, too. He's just cruising at, at 80. Usually, yeah. 80, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes I push 100. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Man. If I, got a t- if I got a tailwind. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that tailwind. So, anyway, 1,000 uh, feet below, 1,000 feet above. Uh, and then when you're above 10,000 feet MSL, the... Um, you got to stay one statute mile horizontal from any cloud. You can't be anywhere near that stuff, and that's that right there. The the reason for that is I was going to bring up what you already brought up is the uh, the two hundred fifty knot speed limit below 
10,000. You don't have that speed limit above 10,000. So you can have stuff coming out of clouds potentially going extraordinarily fast. So you want that one statue miles visibility away from that cloud instead of just the 2,000 feet. Yeah, and that's why you want the that's why the actual visibility requirement went up as well. So that by the time you see someone, you have two more miles to react. Yeah. So I mean it is all hinged on the 250. That well, that's why if you look at the class B, it's three miles of visibility because they know 250 is the maximum and clear of clouds. Like they don't really care about that. They only care about the three miles. That's that's if ATC for some odd reason is having a bad day and there's a you know a conflict, they want the three miles uh of visibility so that the two aircraft, if they're both doing 250 knots, have enough time, you know, to, to see and avoid each other as best as possible. And yeah, it's all hinged on the 250, all of it, the, the cloud clearance and the visibility requirements, all about 250 nets, all about 250. Yeah. Um, class golf. Oh, let me go back real quick. Can I go back go, real quick? Go for it. Yeah. The, the only difference. So I, yeah, I said it's all about 250. The one thing that does also get increased is, um, the, the, the distance above a cloud stays a thousand feet. But the distance below a cloud gets goes from 500 feet to 1,000 feet above 10. And a lot of that is driven by the potential necessity to do an emergency descent. Um, so all airplanes have different limitations and the limit and the um, the regulations on uh, what part 25 aircraft need to be capable of doing kind uh, or part 135, uh, which is commercial air carriers and um, part 25 certification of aircraft transport category aircraft. It escapes me right now, but it's something on, you need to be able to descend, you know, below 14,000, 15,000, something like that in, in a certain period of time. So you need to be able to descend from cruise altitude, and this, this is all in certification of the airplane, but you need to have oxygen and, and uh, the ability to descend below whatever the threshold altitude, and it escapes me, don't judge me too hard. But it's in like a several minutes, two minutes, four minutes, five minutes, something like that. I can't remember. Um, I want to say it's below 14,000 in five minutes or less or below 15,000 in four minutes or less. It's something, I think something like that. And so they know there could be a necessity for an aircraft to be descending rapidly in emergency descent if there's a depressurization problem. So that's why they now, like I said before, there's no incentive really to descend. Well. Now, that would be an incentive. You know, there's a big hole in the side of the airplane. You're hemorrhaging pressure, oxygen. So to get down, you're going to come down optimal rate, which, you know, we could easily do 4,000 feet a minute in the descent. So that would obviously compromise, you know, 400 or 500 feet below cloud. Yeah, 1,000 isn't really much either when somebody descending at 4,000 feet a minute. But it is better than it's double, you know, what it is below 10,000. So that that is part of the criteria, you know, driving that increase from 500 feet below a cloud, below 10,000 to 1,000 feet below a cloud, above 10,000 is for aircraft that have to do maybe emergency descent. They're coming out of that cloud. They don't need an airplane 500 feet from them. <laughs> 1,000 is better, I guess. It's not enough, yeah. I wouldn't think, but it's better. Definitely.
right, welcome back. We uh, had a technical difficulty. We are back using our old software uh, several days later to finish up this episode. Uh, fun fact, every episode you've heard up until now has been recorded and produced via an 11-year-old MacBook Pro. So we've been uh, attempting this whole uh, new year to do live stream stuff, and we are temporarily abandoning that endeavor until a computer I'm having built is is built, which should be roughly mid-February. Um, from what I understand, talking to the company who's building it for me, that should be able to handle everything we want to do, no problem. But uh, in the meantime, we're back on our old method, which does not involve any sort of live stream. Uh, kills me because uh, I do got to send out an email. If you are, many people have signed up for that that email list to be notified when we're going live. I haven't been doing that just because I never know if the tech is going to work. I don't want people to, you know, carve out a, a Friday or Saturday night when we usually record to try to, you know, be a part of the live program and then it doesn't even happen. So I, do, I just haven't been doing it. So it's all on pause for now. That's where we're at. We're going to wrap it up. I'll cut it in somewhere. We got energy a little bit, but I'll cut out what we did before and just roll with this. Uh, class G uh, is 1,200 feet or less above the surface. This is regardless of mean sea level altitude. Uh, then for aircraft other than helicopters, which is what we primarily care about right now on the Farring Podcast. No offense to the helicopter pilots out there. I do not yet have my rating. I do plan on getting it at some point. We'll stick with airplanes for now because that's what we know. This is divided up a uh, day and night, except that's provided in 91.155, which, what is that? Where are we? There's people who just, 91155. Uh, yeah, that's what, yeah, okay, this, I don't know what's, why is it, why is it reference? That's the only time I've ever seen it reference, a reg like reference itself like that. Anyway, uh, day is one statue mile clear clouds, uh, and night is three statute miles, and then the 152, 500 feet below, 1,000 feet above, 2,000 feet horizontal. So we'll skip the for helicopters part. So this is like, regardless of how the altitude, that's for if you're less than 1,200 feet above the surface. So like you go in mountainous terrain, you can be up really, really high. And you can still be within uh, 1,200 feet of the ground in theory, why they have it that way. And then, uh, that night they, they up that to three statue miles, uh, the one fifty two, which I don't, that's, it's all just crazy to me. I would not want to be at night messing around with that kind of stuff, uh, with those kind of minimums VFR. But anyway, I digress more than 1,200 feet above the surface, but less than 10,000 feet MSL. So this is the next altitude notch up, which is again divided by day and night. Your one statue miles visibility, and then the 152 uh, distance from clouds. Night, that goes up to three statute miles, uh, 152. So that's basically that next notch up from 1,200 to 10,000 feet MSL. It's basically the same as below, except for your just during the day below, you have to be clear clouds. And then... Uh, if you're if you go above 1,200 feet above the surface, you got to do the the 152. You got to be cl- you got to be have some distance between yourself and the clouds. Is the the only difference between that. And then once you are more than 1,200 feet above the surface, 
and at or above 10,000 feet MSL, it goes up to five statute miles, uh, 1,000 feet below, 1,000 feet above, one statute mile horizontal distance from clouds. That There's a, a handy chart that we're referencing on this. We're putting into an audio format. So if this isn't clicking to you, grab your copy of the Far Aim and uh, 91.155. There's a, there's a chart there. So it, it breaks it down. Um, I it, The only time I actually knew these was when I was prepping for check rides and written tests and stuff. Like now as a pilot, if I'm close enough where I have to reference it, I'm probably just not even going to fly anyway. But if for some reason I thought it might be anywhere remotely close and I want to check, I just look it up. That's I feel like most people do once they're through the training phase. Like, could you have, could you have rewritten this chart, Lee, if you had to? You didn't even fly VFR hardly that much anymore. No, I don't. Yeah, I haven't flown VFR. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's been over a year, I think, since I've flown VFR. But, um... Yeah, I, I could probably, I could probably get it. I bet it about a ninety-eight percent. I bet I could get ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent of these correct. But you can. It depends on which route we're trying to go. Like what the what type of information we're trying to convey here. If we're trying to get somebody through a written, mo- most time like class G. So remember that as an outlier, one mile clear of clouds. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we just unpacked there that it could be very, very different. You can spend your time memorizing that. Um, which is not not worthless to do, um, but one mile clear clouds for class G. Pretty much everything else is three miles of a thousand above five hundred below two thousand feet horizontally. Once you get above ten, five miles of visibility a thousand above a thousand below and one mile horizontally. That would pretty much cover everything. If we were talking about just getting through the written and just knowledge content stuff, there's nuances in class G. Figure that out. It'll probably help you on the written, but um, practically speaking unless you're trying to conduct a certain type of operation 135 or you're somewhere out west alaska like you just said rob you're 100 percent right you you know where you are you know what airspace you're operating in if if you're in one of those more nuanced areas you're probably going to know that portion of the regulation better than most of us in the united states they're not really going to operate in class g hardly at all it's almost always going to be class e if not more controlled, like a class Delta, Charlie, or Bravo. So class G that has all these nuanced, you know, uh, criteria won't impact most people. And if it does, it's for a very, very, very small portion of their flight when they're taking off or landing, they're kind of transitioning class G. The airport they're at is technically class G to maybe 700 feet AGL or 1200 feet AGL, depending and you're just going to transition that as unless you're staying in the pattern or something. And then that is that 91155B that it references. Is there a special provisions for when you stay operating in the control pattern in class G? Okay. So that you can sense. yeah, you can drop it down. I man, I think I think it's a half mile or something. I can look in this in a second, but I think it's a half mile of visibility in clear clouds as long as you're uh staying in the pattern. Which is low. I mean, I, I can't stress this enough. A mile is low. So half mile. Oh, it's within a half. I just glanced. It's within a half mile of the runway. 
Okay, we'll we'll get into the 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 B here, the wrapped it up okay. section. Um, yeah, I, I was just gonna put an addendum on what I, what I said. The reason I don't would have to look up a lot of these since I took the written is my personal minimums are so much higher than every single one that I just I'm going by that. Yeah, like I'm not really gonna go I'm not really gonna go flying if it's less than ten miles visibility. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go flying unless those clouds layers at least a couple thousand feet above me Yeah, with the type of flying I do. So to know, like, I don't really need to know those other than to, to explain it and teach it to, to people with, you know, but I, I don't, yeah. I don't really use my CFI. So back in the day I would push the minimums, but anymore, like I'm not doing that. No, so. not even close. So yeah, it's you can. It, it's easy to forget once you get past the written if you're not actually using all this stuff. And I, I would recommend, especially in the beginning, and like in our case, we just haven't flown. We're not super ton of recent hours. You know, my personal minimums are just way higher than any of this stuff. I'd never get anywhere close to this. I wouldn't go flying if it was going to put me in a position where I was anywhere near any of these minimums. So, just food for thought. And that'll keep you alive longer too, having those higher minimums. Yeah. If you have to go to the book to figure out what the fine letter of the law is, that should be a signal to most people like, eh, then maybe this is too close to the edge. Yeah. Now, if you are a professional or you're doing something like that and this is, you know, what you do, chances are you already know the law anyway, so you don't have to look it up. And two, you're proficient enough and you know where you're going and you know your airplane and you know everything you need to know about that route and about the, the takeoff and landing destinations. You're probably a lot more in tune with what's going on if you're a professional having to kind of maximize these regulations. If you're a fair we- semi-fair weather, it, if you have to be like, okay, what is it exactly here where I am? I want to go take off, uh, you know, doing a college visit with one of my kids. I want to take off, you know, we got a meeting, whatever. And you got to look it up. That should be a signal that probably get in the car and just go drive. Yeah. That's Scott's rule of thumb just in general anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't, <laughs> don't fly anywhere. <laughs> just don't do it. The car's more comfortable. Yeah, it's more comfortable, and it's not that much slower than the 150. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, part B. This is a class G airspace that I uh, I, for, I did not notice the B at the end of that reg when I made that comment earlier. So this is what that was referencing for class G. Notwithstanding the provisions of paragraph A of this section, the following operations may be conducted in class G airspace below 1,200 feet above the surface. One is helicopter, which we are going to skip. Part two is airplane, power parachute, or weight shift control aircraft. If the visibility is less than three statue miles, but not less than one statue miles during night hours, and you are operating in an airport traffic pattern within half mile of the runway, you may operate an airplane, power parachute, or weight shift control aircraft clear of clouds. Um, can you break that down? What are, the, what are they trying to explain there? So once you get to once once you get at night for any of the th- any of the thresholds, so in class G at night, you're always going to get some um, qualifying uh, distances from clouds, uh, five hundred below, a thousand above, five hundred below, two thousand feet horizontally. If we want to do it in the one fifty two, they're saying if you're staying within the pattern within a half mile of the, of the runway that you're doing takeoffs and landings, you can just be clear of clouds. 
you don't have to have those 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 uh qualifying a thousand above 500 below 2000 feet horizontally anymore as long as you're out of the clouds you're legal to go do takeoffs and landings in the pattern within a half mile of the runway if that makes sense yeah i've been in that situation once it wasn't class g because it was uh, port clinton pcw and I was flying, and a snowstorm came through. So I was in the pattern, and the vis- is a snow is a snowstorm clouds. Yeah, just a, it was. It felt like a storm. I'm solo. This is like earlier solo days. Yeah, yeah. It's the winter time. I didn't have my I didn't have my plane at Scott's place because the runway is useless in the winter time unless you have skis and stuff. Or so if it's was, frozen. Yeah, if if it's frozen, good. It's then it's good. But it was not that winter, so we just had the plane at Port Clinton for the winter. And uh, so I'm doing the solo work, and I remember uh, the cloud came through, started dumping snow, and it just goes white everywhere. And then, like, it just got the very narrow focus of like the ground below me and stuff, and it was it was scary. I paid a lot more attention to uh, the weather forecasting after that experience before I'd go run around doing solo work. Yeah. And that, that's how people learn, you know, you go do these things like with an instructor throughout, you know, getting your certificate. And most of the time they are kind of a, a step or two ahead of you as far as, you know, what the weather, they're watching it, whatever. You're just showing up to the airport and you're excited to go fly, but they're, they're thinking of the big picture and they kind of, you know, are the ringleader for everything. And then you find out once you go out there on a solo or you just got your private certificate. So if you did all your training in in the summer, let's say in the Midwest, where the weather's mostly pretty good, um, th- you know, if it was Florida, you get thunderstorms popping up. So that's something you'd be thinking about. So you'd at least have some exposure to rapidly changing weather conditions, like we get flurries up here. But if you're talking about the Midwest and you learn to fly rapidly all through the summer, and you have these, you know, freak snow squalls that can come through, like you're talking about. I mean, it, it it can definitely catch you and it's using and keeping your cool head like you did and getting through that. And then you walked away and you're like, eh, I think I'm going to check or I'm going to, you know, keep an eye on that weather, you know, and that you walked away with it and you learned something. That's, that's what you want to do. But yeah, they pop up, they pop up for sure. Yep. We're probably going to get a little bit next, uh, next episode. I'm doing, I'm currently, as of this recording, going through my flight instructor renewal course, we got to do every other year uh, to, to maintain CFI. So we're going to be doing five hazardous attitudes next week. Uh, stay tuned for that one. Uh, we're actually recording it right after we finish this up, but you got to wait a week to hear it. Unless you've listened to this after it already came out. Uh, part C, except as provided in 91.157, uh, which is the special VFR minimums, which I'll, we'll, may do an episode uh, about special VFR weather minimums. Uh, if we get an email request to do it, we'll do it. That's the deal. Um, except as provided in 91.157, no person may operate an aircraft beneath the ceiling under VFR within the lateral boundaries of controlled airspace designated to the surface for an airport when the ceiling is less than 1,000 feet. What is, what, what is that? How do you sum that up in, in English? So they're talking, yeah. The, the, so one of the things, like on your oral, the, the way the question would be asked is kind of like, what are the basic VFR weather minimums? So, like, yeah, we've talked about cloud clearance and visibility requirements in ninety one one fifty five. We just did, but now this is asking, you know, uh, or at least, well, this is part of ninety one one fifty five. Um, 
basically if you're in controlled airspace, meaning it's class, uh, if it's designated for an airport, you have a three mile visibility and a thousand foot ceiling. That is your basic VFR weather minimums when you're operating. Uh, if you let me read it, let me read it real quick and make sure that I'm talking about the right thing here. We're we're in the weeds here. I'm in I'm in part C. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. No, that no. This is this is in the weeds. Stuff. I don't know if I. No, totally. You totally have. So this is basically VFR weather minimum. So like, let's say you have class E, which doesn't normally go to the surface, but if it's designated for an airport, the airport is just busy enough that it they don't want it to be G. They want you to have certain parameters. They don't want you to be able to take off in a mile and clear of clouds like we just covered. They don't want it to be G. They want to, ha- they need more out of you than that. They need the weather to be better than that. The airport is busy enough. The type of traffic going in there is fast enough and they're doing, you know, maybe an ILS or some type of instrument approach. It's a, it's a busy enough airport. They've classified it and they don't want somebody in a J3 Cub to be like, it's a mile clear clouds. I'm going 70 knots. Who cares? That's plenty for me, let's say, or a guy in a super cub. They're saying, Hey, this is just busy enough. You know, you, we could have a Hawker or a Falcon coming in, you know, while that J3 Cub's trying to take off. We don't, we can't have that conflict. So we're saying, hey, since we know we have faster jet traffic or the amount of traffic going in there, you need to have three miles of visibility and you need to have at least a thousand foot ceiling. So I don't know where we were covering the three at. I'm not sure that may be coming up. I haven't read ahead, but when you're, in controlled airspace designated to the surface three miles of visibility or a thousand foot ceiling is required for vfr except for special vfr which is what you talked about first there so if you're just operating vfr you need a thousand foot ceiling yeah the 91.15 in controlled airspace if it's designated for an airport correct yep um yeah 91.157 is special vfr weather minimums we are not covering that this episode um, as I said, send us an email if you if you want us to do a separate one on that. Uh, part D, we'll wrap almost done here. Except as provided in 91.157, the special VFR weather rig of this part, no person may take off or land an aircraft or enter the traffic pattern of an airport under VFR within the lateral boundaries of the surface areas of class B, C, D, or E airspace designated for an airport. Uh, one in less ground visibility at that airport is at least three statute miles, or two if the ground visibility is not reported at that airport, or if ground visibility is not reported at that airport unless flight visibility during landing or takeoff or while operating in the traffic pattern is at least three statute miles. It's basically three. Sta- that's the three statute miles. If it's got it, you got to go. So that's a three thousand. Yeah, three miles a thousand feet. Yep. yep. And then um, I think the we e, have a lag, Rob. Which I'm is, sorry. Yep, we do. Yeah, no, you're good. you're good. Yeah, we do. For the purpose of this section, an aircraft operating at the base altitude of a Class E airspace area is considered to be within the airspace directly below that area. That's the last one. Scott, does that make sense? So that one. Uh, for the purpose of the section, aircraft operating at the base altitude of a Class E airspace is considered. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, this is all kind of in the weeds. We're wrapping up yeah. this one up. Yeah. Lee, do you got English translation for that? Yeah, is there a better way to explain that? It well, 
I mean, I, I, I like scenarios. So if you're at an airport where you're like, let's say you're class G to 700 feet, but they, you know, it depends on which way you look at it. Does class G end at 700 feet or does class E start at 700 feet? And this is kind of delineating that for us all. And it's saying if you're at 700 feet and you're at, you're an E that abuts class G, for example, because it's the most prominent question when you have a, an altitude split, which one are you in? Do I need the class E requirements or the class G requirements? This is saying you'd be class G. At 700 feet, you would be class G. Med- this is saying here you're going to meet the airspace that beneath you, basically. If you're at the floor of the class E at 700 feet, let's say, AGL, you're, you're going to go with class G. That, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's just, to me, it's just, it's still, I feel like it's so in the weeds because I would never be pushing it to where I would have to know this stuff because my personal minimums are so much higher than all this. If you get into like an unplanned situation, then exactly. it kind of doesn't really matter what the regs, right? Because you, you got to get to the airport anyway. So what are you going to do? I mean, you could say we'll get into this in the ne- in the next episode. But I would just say, how much pre-flight planning did you do when you got yourself in such a bad situation that this is that well, that you're down to the legal minimums, you know, or slightly less or something? Yeah, yeah. let's wrap this up so this doesn't become a. I feel like this is going to be long because to us, this is broken up into two different sections. We've record we've recorded this two different days, but when I edit all this together, it's going to be. I'm afraid it's going to be a doozy. Yeah. And that's, I try to avoid doozies when we don't have to. We probably covered enough. I, I we covered the the we covered everything of the reg. I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So before we wrap it up, I got a five star written review. Uh, we're way behind on these, but um, from one through ten, name taken. It's a username. Uh, five stars. Thanks. Thanks for providing a wealth of experience and knowledge from all facets of airplane pilotage. I'm a student pilot in a 141 school, and it is incredibly valuable to listen to the Far Aim podcast cruise insights. Thanks, folks! Exclamation point. Thank you. One through ten. Name taken for the five star review. We appreciate it. Um, just an email. I'm just curious what 141 school you're you're going to we had brendan saunders on i know is a a popular episode from he went through uh, uh atp so that's a, a interesting one so we're just always curious but uh yeah thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to write that thanks for the five star review that's awesome we'll take as many as we can get keep them coming yeah thank you and i like the uh, username very creative all right. Email is our preferred method of communication. My email is F-A-R-A-M at robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R is the German way, not the sandwich way. Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com. G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Mr. Boris can be reached at F-A-R-A-I-M at ScottBoris.com. B-O-R-E-S. And as I said, the, uh, the email list live component we are having some technical difficulties, as uh, we mentioned earlier. Uh, this ended up in two different days we've made this episode because of technical difficulties. And we're having even more now as we record this one. But it should be all right in the edit. Uh, but yeah, so we're at some point going to be back on when I get a new computer. Um, 
that's coming in mid-February now is the uh, the goal. So, um, yep, thanks for listening. Next week, check out the uh, five hazardous attitudes we're going to try to knock out here if we don't have technical difficulties. Until next week, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys. See you. time you should be in class a is in the back of an airliner with a drink in your hand yep you get the uh, little crown royal yeah with a coke yeah always ask for a double yeah always worth getting the double you always Uh want that second one then the the stewardess isn't there to get it for you it takes too long yeah yeah or even better sneak your own little mini bottles on that's what i do what is what is your before we move on? What is your advice? You have some good strategies for uh, sneaking liquor aboard uh, airliners, yes. Mr. Boris. Yes, five hour energy bottles are the best I've found. Okay, because they you just assume the, it's a five hour energy bag. Yeah, just put them in a Ziploc bag. I've never had anybody actually open them and check it. Okay, they don't know what's in there. They just think it's five hour energy, and then it doesn't. You know, you can just, if someone sees you pouring a five-hour energy drink into your Coke. that you, Right. Just, I'm tired. Yeah. Trying to wake up. Because you can buy a Coke. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why I'm drinking a Coke. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed a little more, so I poured a five-hour in there. I keep meaning to do this. i never done this, but I keep meaning to because you can't get Captain Morgan or, like, any good rum, spice yeah. rum on an aircraft. And they won't let you bring they won't let you bring the mini liquor bottles on anymore. You have to disguise yeah. them. They yeah, just put them in uh, drinks. Yeah, or there's all kinds of other energy shots you can use, but that's I always have the five hour energy bottles laying around. So I would never do this. Why? No, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Why? I just. Wouldn't try. I mean, I have other. I'm I'm allowed to take certain stuff on as, as a crew member, but like if I were to, um, be like out of uniform, don't have any of my badges, just go through security like a normal person, I would just be so paranoid about getting caught for alcohol. What? So what if they catch you? What do they do? Throw it away? I mean, I guess that's all it would be. Yeah, because I've had to turn stuff in. So if they random us, even if we're in uniform or out of uniform, but tr- you know, in traveling like for personal travel or something like that, you can still get random to go through normal security, and then you go through the you know the the machines and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um. You may or may not have to take your shoes off, and and I'll, some of those things we still get exempted from, but like the liquids, that's still all like fair game. So like I was coming back from, uh, I would think I was like at training or something, and I'd bought a six pack of Modelo or something. And I'm, I was, I don't know why, but I was like such a cheap ass. I brought one can. <laughs> I had one can left that I didn't drink. So instead of leaving it in the hotel, I brought it with me. All right. And 
I got randomed. Oh, oh man. So, you can't so I had it. to go. What are the odds, right? Yeah. So I had to go through normal security. And then I, and I didn't say anything through. about it. I just sent it through. I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't know what I because I had all my stuff with me. Yeah. So like it wasn't it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um and they, they're like, uh, no, you can't go through with that. I'm like, oh so what they do it wasn't in uniform. They just threw it away, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's if I if they do happen to open my five hour energy bottles and sniff them and they're like, oh, this is liquor, you know, it's not like they're gonna arrest me. They're just gonna throw it away and say you can't do that. I'm just, it's not even about being arrested. I like, I don't, I don't expect that I'll be like arrested. Like, I don't care about that. It's just, so, it's just kind of like the principle that I'm like upsetting the flow of like everything. Like I had years ago, I had a flight attendant and he brought through like some silverware through security and he got in this big deal like this big issue with this um with the tsa at this one airport he's in you we're all in uniform we're going we're going to work like we're going to pick up an airplane at an airport from the overnight and go start flying the next day and he brings through this set and he like gets into it with the tsa agents he's like it's on the approved list that's why i bought this set i'm allowed to have it. i'm allowed to have it. and they went round and around it was probably 20 minutes 20 25 minutes and when it was all set, so I'm there, you know, I don't, I, my thing was like no crew member left behind. So I was like waiting right outside security, right inside security. And at, I had already gone through and, and I'd flown with this guy before and he's cool, whatever. I mean, we were like, you know, friends or whatever. Um, and I like, do you understand the point is not to try and get away with something by the final letter of the law? It's look at the disruption you just caused. We are now 20 to 25 minutes late. If they caught me, I wouldn't argue with him. I'd just say, fine, throw it away. No, no, well, no, I understand that. It's just like me, like even just like two minute, five minute. Like they have to run your bag through and then go backwards and then back again. And everybody else's bag at the other end is going in and out and in and out. And it's just like, I just don't like any of that. I don't want to be the guy. I know, but I, I've probably done it like, I've probably done it 15 times. And I've never been, nobody's ever said one thing about it. And it's buried like in like uh, like a toiletry bag or like like right on top. No, just in your just in my in my in your plastic ziplock bag with your liquids. Yeah. I, oh my god! Like to go like dig in there and be fishing around and just like I don't I don't want any of that. Like why would I? I mean, like to me, it's not that important to have. I just go get a beer. You don't. There's no hat. There's no hassle at all. Just you throw them in. You, a little bit of a you throw it in your Ziploc bag with your liquids, and you just go in. And then when you get on the plane, you get a pop, and you pour it in that. See, I don't even do a Ziploc bag. I have a normal toiletry bag. Well, see, you're breaking Full the rules. Size. You're breaking the rules already. It's supposed to be in a zip. But see, bag. I always travel with my badges well, and stuff. Oh, so you're. I don't have the same badges, and I, I've, I don't, I haven't used a clear bag, and I don't know how long. Well, you're supposed to see. You guys are the ones breaking the rules, not me. I just throw it in a dop kit, and I've never, I've never gotten checked anymore. Yeah, Mister Liquor Smuggler. When I just went to a bachelor party late, late last year, and like October or something like that, and I, I brought my cooler. I had it loaded with minis because I went and I didn't get random on the way there, but I did get random on the way home. But they, I, I had I don't know fifty, fifty minis. Yeah, in one cooler. And they but let you take it on the plane. And stuff with me. And yeah. yeah, well, I didn't get random. 
Yeah. I went right through. I went right through our our kind of our ex our 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 uh, crew member security system yeah. thing that not all airports have, but some do. So I was going. I didn't care on the way back because I didn't need them, but I was going to a bachelor party, so I wanted to have them. All right. So I had I had a ton of minis, and it was went without a hitch. And that that makes me feel okay when I'm going through our like crew member security when I have all my badges with me. To go through normal security, I just it's a totally different deal. I just I don't like it. Okay. I don't want to be the guy that slows everything up when everybody's been in line for an hour. Here I am. I just come walking along. I got my, you know, I'm in uniform or I have my badges on me and I cut the line and then I hold everybody up. Like, I just don't want any of that. Remember, all these people have been in line for an hour and I just walk, go through a separate line. If I get randomed, you go right to the head of the line. Then I get to the head of the line over there in normal security. All these people are pissed off at me already. And then I just slow them up. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, worry about it. Well, that's you. Yeah, it doesn't mind inconveniencing others. All right, that was a 15-minute segue, uh, but I solid advice, solid advice. Uh, <laughs> class Bravo airspace. Okay, Class A, you don't need it because you're flying up high jets. you got to be in an IFR flight plan. No offense to the helicopter pilots out there. I do not yet have my rating. I do plan on getting it at some point. We'll stick with airplanes for now because that's what we know. Uh, Weren't you working on that for a while? I had Did some you... lessons and I had a deal um, with a gentleman that does an operation that has uh, he, he runs helicopters and fixed wing. Um, I actually did a, a kind of an interview flight uh, with the chief pilot, got the job, and then um, it would have required me to get my helicopter's license um, within, I forget what the terms were, uh, but it just it didn't make sense at the time. 2020 hindsight, I'm like, frustrating. I It would have been so cool. It killed me not to do it. But um, yeah, but he actually texted me, wondering if I knew any dual-rated pilots. And then I texted him back, offered him a... Uh, Offered him to do a shout out on the sh- on the podcast if he can't find anybody, and he says, "Hold off, I got a couple of irons on the fire. You know, if, if that doesn't work out, I'll let you I'll let you do that." So I might be doing a shout out on an episode coming up. If there's any dual rated pilots out there, uh, helicopter and fixed wing. This gets a uh, nice guy's treated me well. Anyway, off topic. Yeah, so I I got like three or four hours I think in an R22, Scott. Nice. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I never got to the point where I could hover, which is the yeah. main. Yeah, you probably, uh, probably ought to be able to do that before you can solo. Well, that's the main learning curve. Uh, becoming yeah. a helicopter pilot is the hovering part. It's the hardest part yeah. for what I've seen so far, at least, and from talking to other people. It's the cyclic stick is so sensitive. Man, I saw a video. Yeah, yeah, I saw a dude like he owned the own his own helicopter and like he went out to go try and fly it or whatever like without instruction or something, and he just it got away with him so quick because it is so touchy. You over control it, it's so easy to over control, and then just grenaded. You know, he just started this this cycle, this whipsaw cycle, over controlling it, trying to compensate 
or I'm overcompensating, I guess I mean, and just hit the rotor and it just the whole thing just disintegrated around them. Yeah. I can see it happening. That's, I mean, that would scare the hell out of me. I tend to, I tend to over, over control stuff yeah. like that myself. So, I mean, I'm like, it like scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Basically a lot of the hover training is just like, I did it at Lantana at a Palm Beach helicopter. Um, most of my hours are with a gentleman uh, named Mr. Tanaka. Shout out to anybody who's maybe taking a lesson with him. You know who I'm talking about. And uh, he would basically, and the other instructors I worked with a little bit, they basically set it up in that center of the three runway triangle complex in Lantana, get it perfectly hovered, I don't know, 10, 10 feet off the ground-ish, 15 maybe. And then you take over, and then you just try to hold it there. They set it up for you to hover, and you try to hold it there, and that's you start, okay, I'm going that way. I know to go a little bit to the left because I'm going right. Now I'm going left a little bit more. So I correct to the right. Now I'm going more to the right than I was going left. And it just, it just gets to the point where you're just out of control and the instructor just grabs it back from you. Can instantly recenter it because they just have those those brain neurons. Are, muscle are memory. They yeah. got the muscle memory. Just do it. It's instantly set up and they're like, okay, try again. And you just do that for hours. I would think it would make more safe to do that up high. Well, you can't get a sense of of direction of you too high. You can't see the Yeah, you got to be close. You got to be close to the ground so you can see what. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. If you're up high, you just oh, I'm, you feel like you're doing good, even though you're not. If you're up high, trying to do it and learn it. Yeah. Anyway, back to uh, G. This is divided up a uh, day and night. Comfort. My knees are already killing me. Dude, that's um, what I'm worried about. Yeah, why don't you find something to sit on, Lee? We're gonna have to. Well, no, I'll be able to back up. The couch is right behind me, so I'll be able to back up and sit on that when I'm not needed for conversation. Yeah, like yeah. How, how many seconds right? during the episode you'll be hopping up and down like a rabbit? Why don't you move I, the operation closer to the couch? Well, then I'll be leaned over. That aren't you going to worry about my back hurting? Then no, I, I just I don't understand how you can't get a chair because it's on the coffee table. You never let me finish my story. Oh, so now see now I'm sitting on the couch. All right, seems, here I am. I'm so ready. This is so like, much easier. You're right. It seems better than being on your knees right. for like. Well, you know, now I'm doing crunches. Hours. Yeah, I'm going to Yeah, I'm going to be feeling it tomorrow. Are we live on Twitch already? I'm not sure. But no how's idea. day two treating you? Miller Lite, huh? That's about, gay. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. Just really enjoying this. Really? That's Very kinda, tasty. That's kind of oh. gay. Why? What are you drinking? Wine. What kind? What kind of wine? Chardonnay. Oh, oh, that's I don't like white wine. No. Chardonnay is like a dry wine, though. I like dry. It's a dry white. Isn't it a white wine? It's a it's a dry white wine. I may have never tried it then because (laughs) I just don't like white wines, period. We're live, I guess. I don't like sweet wines. I don't like sweet wines either. It's got to be. It's it's got to be dry. And that's why I tend to like the I don't like super dry, though. I like like. What would be a super dry? Like a um a Malbec? 
I don't, I don't know. I'm not familiar with that. I think that's like a super dry. I've I don't only had like, those a couple like, times. Uh, like Merlot is a little dry for me. Oh, I like Merlot. Yeah, I mean, I'll drink it, but it's it's a little dry. I don't know. My dad drinks some huh. really, really dry shit that like dries your mouth out when you drink it. I don't like that. Oh yeah, I get thirsty as yeah. or as hell. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we are literally live on Twitch. We're live. Right? I don't know how that okay. happened. Um. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we're doing, uh, 91-155. Yes. Basically of our weather minimums. Mm-hmm. Do we have anything mm-hmm. we need to prep for this first? Or? I feel like we did this before, didn't we? We covered them when we did the episodes about the specific airspaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we have, we've been planning on doing one that's just isolated for this. What, uh, what number is it? 91 91- FARs. 2021 far aim there, Scott. I do. It is right. Great. Oh, good. My next question was going to be, what page is it on? Uh, Um, 195. I know it. It is on... 196 in mine. Well, I've got to start at the... the Oh, I see. Yeah, I got you. I got you. on the second page. I got you. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure that government printing office was had some consistency in their products. Yeah, I'm. I'm ASA just, prints this one, right? Yeah, I, well, I suppose that's true. I suppose it is ASA. I'm just gonna read it off my phone. It's still easier. I got it on here in case I my have, phone dies. Though I just have two monitors, so I have it pulled up on one monitor, and then I have us on the other monitor. Aren't you fancy? Jeez, here I am kneeling in my basement. You look like you're on the. Sp- Space shuttle. I don't know how. I, I honestly don't know how people function with one monitor. I couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah. At work, like, I guess, like at home, if you're just like looking stuff up, it's fine. But for like for work and stuff, I could not do it without two monitors. It's so much. It's so much easier. It saves me so much time. Yeah. I'm gonna divide this in half now that you say this, so I can see. The Twitch stuff, and then I can see the recording software, and then. We'll so, start. are you going to read the reg, Rob? Of course, I'm going to read it. Okay. What kind, of, what kind of question is that? Well, I don't know. I just all the conversations we've had. I thought we were thinking we were going to. People, people. Brevity. Yeah. They can. People can read though. Okay, so how how do we tackle this then? If we don't read the specific reg. Well, that that's where show prep would come in, which we don't do. <laughs> we don't so, do that. I guess touche. I'm trying to remove. Can you everything. just read the chart? Can't we just read the? Can't we just read the the chart? It's on page 196. Yeah, but our, there's some nuances we'll, we'll want to talk about first, can't okay. we? I'm trying to remove everything yeah, I could possibly reach. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Remove we'll do that the temptation. We start. Because there's gonna be stuff you're already making crackling noises. Well, on I know I'm microphone. I'm moving the stuff right now. I'm trying to get rid of it. If there's Jesus. nothing that I can reach, that would be much better. I have issues with touching am things. I, is am I coming through better now? Because I yeah. doubled my internet speed since the last time we did this. It was terrible. It was terrible. Time, last so I would time. say Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you sounded like shit yeah. last time. It was cutting in and out. You're very clear. The image is very clear as yeah. well. Yeah. All right, good. How's the Rona? Yeah. 
Good, man. I I don't have any symptoms anymore. Huh? I did another Phil. test. I get a test on Monday to see if I uh I still have it. So, so hold on. They, so they diagnosed that the coronavirus is present in your system. Correct. But you don't have COVID-19. It says that is COVID-19. COVID-19. No, well, I the, think there is a the difference. The flu can no. set it off. I, no, I'm, no, I'm pretty sure there's a difference. COVID-19. COVID-19 is the disease caused by the coronavirus. I don't know how no, that is. I no. took the rapid Be- yes, test. Yes, because the, what's, SARS, the coronavirus? SARS, what's the coronavirus? SARS-CoV-2 is what causes the coronavirus, COVID-19. No, 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 that is the coronavirus. Yeah. Which causes COVID-19. Why do they have two different names? The flu will set it off the test, I heard. That's about. true. Scott, what's your answer? I, I don't what's know. What's your answer? You just gave them two different names. So why are there two different SARS, names? SARS-CoV-2 is what causes... Is the coronavirus. COVID nineteen. No, is the coronavirus that is the that is the coronavirus? No, any SARS CoV two is not the coronavirus. You're wrong. Okay, I'm. Well, I'm going to look it up right here. Yeah, look it up. SARS CoV two is what causes the coronavirus, also known as COVID nineteen. I wish we'd do this much show prep for the actual aviation (laughs) regulation show we do. We'd be uh, well. We'd probably be. I don't charts. I don't need to look it up because I'm not wrong. He is. All right. Um, so we uh, our term our terms are wrong, Scott. But basically, in principle, I am correct. No, I'm right. Yes, yes, I am. Well, the way you're saying it, you're as long as you're validating what I'm saying, you'd be right too. But I don't think you are. So I will read this here. Uh, new coronavirus identified. Blah blah blah. The virus is known as the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus two, SARS COVID two. Mm-hmm. The disease it causes is called coronavirus disease nineteen, COVID nineteen. That is exactly what I was saying. No, no, no. You are using, using the wrong. That is one hundred percent what I was saying. No, no, no. Yeah, but you have you don't even know what you were saying. That is exactly what I was saying. No, you're saying it is the coronavirus. No, it's the no, disease. No, SARS-CoV-2 yes. is what causes the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. God damn it, Lee. Get on your game. <laughs> so so, so no, hold on. No. So nothing we'll, I said we'll, was correct? You never said the word disease at all. <laughs> Whatever. You well, didn't. You didn't. Okay, you keep okay. saying coronavirus, coronavirus. No, SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. Well, hold on. I just I just read it to you, so of course you can go back and, and say. But that's what I was saying you from says, the beginning. Was that Sar- not what no, I was you said saying? Co- you said it causes the coronavirus. You did not say it causes COVID-19. I said it caught this COVID-19 no. is a coronavirus. Well, we can re-listen to this. If Rob were to leave this in, he could re-listen COVID-19 to this. COVID-19 is a coronavirus. Yeah, it's a disease. Yes. SARS-CoV-2. Okay. Causes yes. COVID nineteen, which is a coronavirus disease. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I I left out disease. My God. Well, that's what I said originally. You never no, said the word disease. Were, well, were, they are two listen, different things. Listen. Well, they are this. two different things. Let's move on. I was right. You were wrong. And we'll move on from this. Well, we can't move on when you want to stop it like that. <laughs> we were both right. I just think I was more right because no. I at least used the word disease. Yeah, but you had it backwards. No, I didn't. I don't remember what you were saying, but it was all wrong. Then how did I have it backwards? I, I would say we were equally right for different reasons. Then I will go. I will fine, go that. Fine, far. I'll I'll settle with that. Just just to move on. 
Yeah. Can we start the aviation show? Or I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Okay. Now I'm really ready. Are Scott's we... got me fired up and ready. Are we live? Yeah, we've been we've live. We've been live this whole time. Oh, cool. Is anybody watching? We're... Yeah. Yeah, there's one viewer right now. So oh, wow. that's good. Cool. We're sorry. Yeah. I'm so, I apologize for Lee. <laughs> I wasn't going to say I was gonna say that about you, but I took the high road. <laughs> well, Scott never takes the high road. Uh, no. I I always take the high road, and that was the high road. Okay, hold on. Before we start, there is a... Um, we forgot to do the five-star uh, uh, five written review in the first episode of the year. Um, bah, 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 bah. Let me make sure that's going to be ready to go. It is. Lee, where's your little uh, thing? Let me check my email. What thing? This thing. No, I, I took it off. Is it is it bad? No. You I'm... just got to uh, don't pop your peas. That's why we got them, because we were popping our peas. Do I normally pop my peas? Normally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was well, going to pop I was gonna, my peas. I was going to comment so I... something, but I won't. I got his review up to read. Just someone remind me to read that at the end of the show. I'll, I'm sure I'll forget. All right. Mm. Let's see. It's going to be episode. Ah, it doesn't matter. Lee, are you in the basement or in the office again? Yeah. It looks like basement. In the basement. You're, you're set up better now, though, it looks like. Yeah, I'm at you're the bar. You're not kneeling now, are you? As we get going. No, I'm in a, I'm on a bar, bar seat. Okay, cool. Hold on. Let me. They got bars tools there. Nice. Yeah, it's not not bad. Nice. It's actually very comfortable. We get like separate webcams that are better and stuff and start getting professional in like a couple years. We got to like set it up so it's like your studio is you sitting at a bar with a microphone on it. That's pretty sweet. I think that'd be pretty sweet. It would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me get the taps right there. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. Not bad. Yeah, it'd be a nice, nice backdrop. Yeah. 